Imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women. Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Lead Hership Global Program. I am so excited to welcome all of you to today's program with Dr. Libby Lewis. Today, we're going to talk about devoted to purpose, supporting purpose-driven brands. You know, for many nonprofits, the last couple of years have been uniquely challenging, and the lessons of the last couple of years are definitely influencing the future plans of every nonprofit. From fundraising to operations, everything is changing, but the need to do good remains as crucial as ever. So today, we're going to talk about the trends in the nonprofit world that your organization should keep in mind when you're trying to create your fundraising strategy. Now, as your nonprofit develops new ways to fundraise, it's important to take notice of worldwide trends that are changing the fundraising landscape. For instance, did you know that nonprofits can actually create NFTs to fund their charitable programs? Imagine if you could create money for your philanthropic mission. That's incredible, right? Creating money is an essential pr principle of the crypto market, and it opens a doorway for nonprofits to fulfill their charitable model by creating NFTs. That stands for non-fungible tokens. And they can create these NFTs specifically designed to raise capital for their particular philanthropic cause. And the NFT market is global. It provides access to a limitless supply of charitable funding sources by creating and selling non-fungible tokens for cash. Nonprofits desperately need money to fulfill their charitable mission, and creating NFTs could be a powerful solution to raise capital. Today, we'll talk to Dr. Libby Lewis, a professor, advisor to executives and entrepreneurs, intellectual property master, investor, author, speaker, philanthropist, Wall Street lawyer, and a UN trainer about the new ways to fundraise. Ready to jump in? Well, let's get started. But first, let me tell you just a little bit about Dr. Liddy Lewis. Dr. Liddy, as I noted, is a professor, an advisor, an investor, an author, a speaker, and corporate executives hire Dr. Liddy to train employees to be strategically and legally mindful in their business practices. Entrepreneurs hire Dr. Liddy to train and mentor them to build, protect, and license, as well as sell their business for ultimate success. The United Nations hired Dr. Liddy to instruct entrepreneurs in South America and in the Caribbean on the intellectual property laws that impact their businesses. She was invited to speak at a TEDx talk in London, and she has spoken at business, law, economic conferences, including 
Berlin, Cape Town, New York, Paris. She's been all over the world. Welcome, Dr. Liddy. Oh, my God, Miss Linda, thank you so much. It is so wonderful to be here and to be here with you in particular, because I love the work that you are doing with Leadership Global. I wish more women could be involved with the group and they will, they will come. I always say build it and they will come. So I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Liddy. So I tell you what, let's start off by learning a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about your journey and what's led you to have such passion around helping nonprofits raise funds for their organizations and do it in a creative and sustainable way. Oh, I'd love to share that story. Uh, I tell folks that for me, I grew up in a family where my dad was a lawyer as well. He was also an Episcopalian priest. So in our home, it was very spiritually grounded, also very business grounded, because he was a community lawyer, which made sense. He helped the grocery store owner, the dry cleaners, the gentleman who owned the butcher shop, the lady who owned the seamstress, was a seamstress. So I'm used to business owners and business issues from a very, very young age. Uh, Unfortunately, my dad disappeared when I was nine years old and we never found him. So the shame of, and I say shame because my mom kind of absorbed it that way, that she wasn't prepared, right? She was the loving wife, the loving mom, but she was not a business owner. She took care of the home. So for her, she felt so shameful that she couldn't hold on to the house. She couldn't hold on to his business. She couldn't hold on to him. And we wound up in shelters. And I say that because that is where my journey really began. My dad's story with the work that he did with the community is the epilogue. But winding up in a shelter at the age of nine in Brooklyn, New York, you learn things really, really fast. And it was the support that I received in the shelter. And people always surprise. We think shelters are scary places. They are. But there's also a community that grows up around need, right? We need things when we go to a shelter. And what I saw at that young age is that there are good people everywhere. We are not defined by how much we have. We're defined by how much we do. And for me, nonprofits do the good work that needs to be done because they believe that it's the right thing to do. And they do it without money in mind. They do it with the goal of serving. And there's nothing for me grander and more gracious than people that come together to do work for others because it's the right thing to do. So that is what has motivated my life in terms of using what I have been given. And I tell folks that I wound up at Columbia University at the age of 16, not because it was my plan, but because I read something in a book that inspired me. And I went off to find where was this place called Columbia University that's in New York. And let's just say after a few conversations, they wound up giving me a scholarship. And that changed my life because there I met parents, wealthy parents that were very involved in their children's lives. And the number one thing they always said was start a business. And they helped me start my first little business, which was a babysitting service. Can you believe it? They just love the way that 
their kids reacted to me. They loved the way that I was always present. How can I be of service? And they loved the way that for them, they felt confident in leaving their most precious, valuable possession with me, which would be their young children. And from that model of, of, have, of being a trusted person within a community, I learned that that's what nonprofits do because they all had nonprofits. All of the wealthy folks had nonprofits. They were oriented towards helping others, but also nonprofits, if done well, can bring in a lot of money to advance a cause, to help a cause, to fund a cause, to solve a major problem where you have like-minded people that come together for a single purpose. So for me, nonprofits are a gateway, if you will, of changing things for others. And it's so sad that they're not supported as much as they should. Now, when I became a regulator, a financial regulator for New York State with the Attorney General's Office in New York, I got assigned the nonprofits as regulating them. And it broke my heart how badly managed most nonprofits are. And I say that in honesty because I want us all to pay attention that the good work we do also has to line up with the good processes that we have in place. And for me, I want to be of service for nonprofits because I recognize what they serve, but I also recognize at times that there's more work to be done in terms of being in compliance, in terms of creating more funding, which is the NFTs are such a beautiful thing now. So that has been my journey as to why today we're having this conversation. Nonprofits can be powerful and I'm here to support the power within them. That is such a beautiful and powerful story, Dr. Liddy. Thank you so much. You know, when nonprofits think about generational giving, they're Mm -hmm. usually only considering mature adults, baby boomers, those born 1964 and earlier. They really leave out a really important group of up and coming supporters. That's Generation Mm -hmm. Z or Gen Z. And that's comprised of those born after 1996. And it seems to me that if you're a nonprofit, being able to connect with this incredibly important group of up and coming philanthropists would be really important. And being able to sure to meet them where they are on mobile, on Mm -hmm. Uh, the metaverse, things like that. So I've seen nonprofits set up text to give options, adding donation buttons on Instagram or other mobile opportunities. But even now with NFTs, the opportunity to connect with Gen Z, Gen X, Gen Y feels like it's much more tangible and much more powerful. So can you talk a little bit about how this generational giving is beginning to shift, especially with NFTs being a real opportunity for nonprofits to generate income? Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you asked that question because we often think that it's the older seasoned members of our society, our baby boomers that have the money to support nonprofits. That is true. They do give. But we did not recognize that the youngins, and I teach them, so these are all the folks in my classes, right, that when they talk, and we talk about business law, we talk, because that's the class, we talk about business ethics. 
there's more people signing up in business ethics than they are for the required business law class. I'm like, oh my God, how did that, how did that happen? But that's the generation that is coming behind us that is saying primarily one thing. We are here to change the way that we have been running our country. They are committed to creating a better society within America. And they believe the way to do that is through the nonprofits, partly because the nonprofits are designed to serve a particular purpose, which is fill in the blank, that you are supporting um, um, more research for breast cancer. You are supporting you know, housing for single moms. Fill in the blank of what that particular purpose is. But what you find in the Gen Z generation, they have rejected our traditional, I say our in a, in a, in a U.S. sense, our, our perspective that the way to gain, the way to do good is to first get money and then donate money. Their view is the way to do good is to donate what you have now by creating things that, that bring in money. They are creating income streams automatically without having the job, right, in the middle. And if you think about it, we were all trained to be employees. We think, think, think how we were educated from grade school to middle, middle school to college. It was all always towards gaining skills that an employer would find valuable so they would hire you. This new generation does not think that way. The way they think is, where is the problem that is touching their heart? How can I be of service to resolve that problem? And they don't see working for a major corporation having to do anything with that formula. Therefore, they don't apply for those jobs. Therefore, they focus on creating either their own businesses that is solving a problem directly or creating things, art, songs, plays, and use that money to fund things that are important to them in our society. So they have figured out something that we folks in our more mature age did not figure out. You do not need to have a job to make a difference in the world. You simply need to surround yourself with like-minded people that have the same focus. Let's do something about moms with children that don't have housing. And they begin to develop things, create things out of thin air, whether it's music or t-shirts or, or how-to how little zine, zine magazines that actually show you the process of creating something. And they'll sell that. They'll sell it over the internet for a dollar. They'll sell it for $3. And the money keeps rolling in. So for me, I find that I learned so much from my students in terms of the, what I'll call the traditional way of raising money is still there, but this new way of raising money, which is creating in the virtual space, right, the ability to buy things in the virtual space that is then reorganized into real dollars. And you might say that's almost magical, or that's almost make-believe. Well, where did money come from? And I studied the history of money in the United States. Where did money come from? It was something that was created. 
right? The US dollar didn't always exist. And when I began to explain the history of money is almost analogous to the history of what we're seeing in the blockchain, the NFT and the metaverse, they're creating a different reality and pouring value into that, that they can then create an income stream from to fund what is close to their heart. So let me ask a little bit about that, because I will say that for a lot of people, this whole conversation about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, Mm. the metaverse is still fairly new. This is still kind of the wild west for a lot of folks. So can you explain in very simple terms, when you talk about a non-fungible token, an Mm -hmm. NFT, what does that really mean? And how can a nonprofit use NFTs to help raise money, to help create monetary and sustainable change for the nonprofit? Yeah. For us to really appreciate what is happening, we have to almost disconnect from what we know with traditional money, right? We have to, it's not, it's not a tangible thing that you can hold in your hand. I'm going to use a little, if this was the dollar bill, that doesn't exist. Because what we are entering, we are entering the technological world. And I know it's very different from what we're used to, but think of it this way. How do we pay things on PayPal? We have a portal that we go to, we put in, we log into our account and we say draft $100 from my account. That technology behind the scenes that is working to withdraw that money from your real account and it goes into the ether somewhere and travels across the electrical grid and winds up in someone else's account is the same technology to a large extent. That's the backbone of it. The only difference is what we're doing, we're going behind the scenes. We're going into how that transfer takes place, which is a separate world, right? It's an electronic world. It's a computer world. They, they're they calling it the metaverse. And that's sort of a catchy tune. And Facebook became meta to more align itself, right? With this sort of what I'd call third generational um, technology. And for most of us, it's invisible. It's an invisible world. You have to enter through specific doorways and portals to be be able to access that world. If you're gamers where you're used to going online and playing games, it's that type of world. And that's really, to a large extent, a very good parallel. If you're used to gaming and playing the video games, you're in this alternate world that exists within ours. And what happens then you can replicate, you can create in that world anything that you wish to create. And people have a hard time. People, people that are older than 25 have a hard time understanding that because we're used to a physical realm. But what is technology when you think about it? Technology is an invisible electrical world that is happening within our laptops. We don't doubt that there's something going on in the laptops, but if we popped it open, we'll see wires and copper, and, but we wouldn't know how it worked. The, the thing with regard to the metaverse is pretend you're inside your computer. Now those things have meaning. And when you're inside the computer, you can create things. So something like an NFT, a non-fungible token. The key is it's valued as if 
it were a dollar, an American dollar, let's say. But it's not an American dollar. It is something that is drawing its value from an American dollar, but it's different because it's within a space, right? The metaverse, if you will. It's within a space that it's been given that value and it can be pegged to the value of an American dollar. And for those of you that do investments and um, transactions in um, buying different currencies, that's probably the most analogous thing. If you you can buy you can buy money in Spain with your American dollar, you can buy money, you can buy uh, the Deutschmark in Germany with your American dollar. It's the same kind of concept, except it's happening electronically in a space that is for right now, completely unregulated. And when I say unregulated, the government doesn't play a role. They want to. <laughs> They're trying to get legislation in to play, to play in that role of regulator in the metaverse. But for now, it's an open space, which is why they call it open source. It's kind of like the wild, wild west in our history. There wasn't much regulation and compliance going on to the West because all of the people were really on the east side of the United States. So if you remember those cowboy stories and people were shooting, it's the same concept if you think about it. There's very little regulation. So who you're buying from, who's creating these products is very important. You can easily wound up losing money, if you will, in that space, because you have to know who's on the other side, that they're good people, that what they're raising funds for is something that is aligned with your heart. So you have to do a little background check to make sure you are trading with the right type of people. But NFTs, think of it as a dollar that is in the virtual world that exists there and you can buy and sell things in that world and then you're able to convert it into American dollars. That is the key. The value then is in transferring it back into American dollars. And that's where the regulation is going to happen, right? Because now you have this money from an invisible space, if you will, affecting American economy. And so the gatekeepers, the regulators that stand there are going to want certain things to be met. But for our purposes, nonprofits can use this amazing world where like-minded people show up to do good, where like-minded people are willing to donate to the non-fungible tokens. This is not money. These are tokens in terms of you can design what the token is about. So I know friends that make jewelry. Like if you look at my necklace, a girlfriend of mine made this. She made it for me. Think of this as something in the metaverse. You can create a necklace like this and then you determine what the value is. Someone who sees the necklace will say, oh my God, I absolutely adore that. A nonprofit can use this necklace as a fundraiser, right? They can do a bidding auction for it or they can sell it to you directly and they would pay you in the metaverse. And then they would be able to receive the funds from you, from your real charge card or debit card or whatever you choose to use. But there's real money entering in. There's a value coming out. And that is how the nonprofits are beginning to fund a lot of really good causes. 
because it's a global transaction. It's not just in the U.S. You can you can buy things from anywhere in the world that your heart feels compelled to contribute to a nonprofit. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, this concept of unleashing money throughout the planet. All right. That completely makes sense, even to someone like me, who is a bit of a neophyte. So thank <laughs> you, Dr. Liddy. That's wonderful. Now let's let's think about the example that you gave. And maybe we'll do a little bit of a, of a case study, if you will. Mm-hmm. And there was a nonprofit who wanted to do an online auction in the metaverse. They wanted to offer a lot of goods and services and products that others could buy in the metaverse. And they created, you know, um, anything that could mm-hmm. be for bid and for sale in an online auction, in a virtual reality kind of environment. Again, how would a charity create those products and services to sell? Mm -hmm. And then how would they attract an audience to actually bid and purchase those, those products and services in a virtual environment that would benefit them in real life in US dollars, as you said? Right, yeah. So the US dollars will always be from the sale right? It's going to be from the sale of, let's say, my necklace is what we're auctioning off of that charity. So the funding to the charity is going to come when there's actually a sale from one of us. Let's say we support this cause. We're going to buy Dr. Liddy's necklace and we're going to pay, I'm making up a number, $200. We're paying $200 for Dr. Liddy's uh, necklace. And you're doing that auction or for sale within the metaverse, which means you're not using the, the, the law of the United States. States, if you will, because you're in a different place. You're in this, um, you're in this world within a world, right? You're in a gaming world. That's probably the best way, right? Because that's where it all came from, really. You're in this gaming world. So the laws of the U.S. taxes and this and that don't, don't come into play. It's whatever the rules that are set up by the entity that created the non-fungible token. So it becomes really important to have transparency in terms of what are those rules, um, and they will provide those to you upon request. So then we get, I wanted to explain it backwards because I think we, we always begin in our minds, I'm buying something, <laughs> right? What is it am I buying? You're buying a necklace, and what is the purpose of that necklace? To fund um, more books in the schools, I'm making this up in Detroit. Right, more books in the more school books uh, for the kids in the junior high school ranges in Detroit because the city there is underfunded. They need more school books, and this is what the money that's the purpose of the money. So, that purpose aligns with you what they're putting up for sale. People like me that contribute um, an item, you can now bid on that or buy it directly, and you're spending real dollars. Right. So it's your debit or credit card that you're sending through the portal and the transaction for the necklace is done if you are the winner of the bid or if you're buying it directly. Now, step one, step two is the sales. Step one, going to, well, how do you create this? Right. How are you going to create this necklace? Well, I have a real necklace. So they have artists that might come in and within the metaverse create a version of this necklace. And the beauty of the metaverse is that you don't only need to have one. I only have one necklace, but they can create 
hundreds and thousands of the identical necklace, right, within the metaverse. So what does that mean to us? This concept of limitation or limited capacity, or there can be only one, no longer exists. Because it's a virtual space, you can create more than one necklace. You can create as many necklaces as you want. So what does that really mean then? That means that the inventory, that means that the thing that is being sold to provide an income stream to that nonprofit is not limited to one item only. They can create multiple, multiple, multiple necklaces in that virtual world, which means there can be many, many more buyers of that necklace, right, in that virtual world. In the real world, there's only one. In the virtual world, we're only limited in quantity by how much the creators can create. So that immediately creates a lot more money coming in to the nonprofit because you're going to have a lot more buyers. You see, the beauty of the metaverse is that multiplicity. And there was a movie long, long time ago about multiplicity, how you can like become 20 versions of yourself, right? Exists in the metaverse world. You're not limited by one only. Now, the nonprofit who has probably hired someone to create the necklace and um, created has, has some amount of cost for them, but not a whole lot of cost. But there's some cost for them to actually hire an artist to create the necklace. They might want a warranty of some sort that it's not going to turn green after wearing it for a week or so. And the nonprofits work with artists. They work with attorneys such as myself to make sure that everything that they're doing is in compliance with the rules of how this metaverse exchanges will work. The beauty of it is that these are all kind of pre-made packaged set of rules. You don't have to rewrite them every single time, right? So it makes it easy for the nonprofits. So the beauty of all of this is that within the metaverse, your cre the nonprofit can create things, a lot of things that are identical when they work with the right folks, and they're able to sell a lot of those things to a number of funders. And that's why the money for them is so much greater than if they were to do it in the real world where there's only one. Yeah, makes all kinds of sense, Dr. Liddy. Thank you. Now, let me ask you about another trend that we see in the nonprofit world that I feel like organizations should keep an eye on as they enter into this brave new world post-COVID, and that's growth in corporate giving. Corporations are really beginning to feel a stronger sense of social responsibility for the community and an increased sense of sort of corporate social responsibility can lead to the introduction of corporate philanthropy programs. And these kinds of programs include various ways that corporations can help nonprofits or matching gift programs or corporate sponsorship mm -hmm. or volunteer grants. And it may also be that corporations get involved in the metaverse. They get involved in funding NFTs. So nonprofits have a tendency to focus on individual contributions made by donors, but corporations can be generous supporters too. So how do you see corporations playing in the metaverse with NFTs and in the um, movement of being able to support charities mm -hmm and to be active in social responsibility initiatives? I love that question. Um, 
I work with corporations. I do a lot of executive C-suite training for them. And one of the things I will tell you that they genuinely want to do is to be provide more, be more of a resource to nonprofits, uh, whether that's direct sponsorship um, in terms of actual dollars or whether that is funding a program. Um, you, we find now that social, social corporate responsibility, which was never a requirement, by the way, so I want to, here's the lawyer in me, <laughs> the professor in me. Um, corporations do not have a legal obligation to be socially responsible. I know it sounds horrible, <laughs> but that is the truth. There is no law that requires any corporation to do good to, other than what they, the product they're going to sell you doesn't hurt you. That's product liability. But in terms of the social responsibility, they don't have a legal requirement to do it. And people are shocked when I tell them this because we as individuals, we feel a sense of social responsibility. Well, corporations don't have that legal requirement to provide it. So those that do, it's because their executive board sees this as the right thing to do. They are individuals sitting and discussing matters that affect the business, but also the environment in which the business sits and the consumers that they are serving their needs that need to be met. And the corporate executives recognize that they have source of funds that they could put behind causes that reflect positively on what they do for the community and also brings them more customers, right? Because we're likely to do more business with a company that we see actively supporting causes that we care about than with a company that is not uh, actively supporting causes that we care about. So the corporate social responsibility at many, many, many of the corporations are well-funded and very few people ask for that. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to put it out there. We, we, myself included, do not do a good job of asking for the corporate sponsorship. And I have a client who designed a program all about how to get how to get corporate sponsorship. <laughs> she realized that a lot of us didn't know how. So one way not to get a corporate sponsorship is to send an email, you know, three or four weeks before something is going to happen that you really care about and ask them for a dollar amount. That probably will go completely unfunded. It's like everything else. It's forming a relationship with the corporate giving division. There's always a division that is specifically designed to do corporate sponsorship at every major company. It's forming a relationship. How do you do that? Send them information about what we do. Offer to have a conversation with them. Now we can easily do it in Zoom. Usually you had to go in person. If you can go in person, that's great. But Zoom is a great alternative. I'd like to share with you what we do and how that could be of service for you. And make sure that what you're doing for the community is in alignment with what they do as their core business. So oftentimes you will find that major oil companies give a lot of money to nonprofits that are doing things having to do how do we use oil, right? So nonprofits that have safe driving programs. Of course, every major oil company wants to get behind that because you probably buy oil for your car, right? You buy gasoline for your car. So this is great. This You're serving almost the same client in their eyes. And the other thing that we often don't realize is that 
forming that relationship takes a little bit of time. It's telling them what you do, when you send them a schedule of when you're going to do things. It's also asking in a way that makes, um, that has a, a certain, um, a certain good vibe to it. It's not simply, we could really use $2,000. It's a $2,000 donation will allow us to provide fill in the blank. And, and I think that's key for a lot of our nonprofits. It's, it's how we ask oftentimes makes a big, big difference. That's really good advice, Dr. Liddy. Thank you. Okay. I am going to jump to our last question of the podcast, which is all about leadership advice. So Dr. Liddy, what is the best leadership advice that you've ever received that you would like to pass on to our audience? The best leadership advice I've ever received um, was from Michael Milken. And he said once, whatever your heart is telling you to do, do it. And I said, how do I do it? He goes, now that's what you're going to have to figure out. But it's whatever inspires you can be, you are the voice of whatever is coming through your heart to do for others. And sometimes that means that you have to do it alone for a little while, that you can't convince others to be on this journey with you. But I'll share this with you. There's an old Mayan saying, centuries old, that I tend to live by. And it's very simple. If it is to be, it is up to me. If it is to be, it is up to me. And leadership, I believe, is willing to take the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, umpteenth step that gets you to what your mind's eye is seeing that you could create for the world. Beautiful. What a wonderful way for us to wrap up today's conversation. So Dr. Liddy, thank you so much. It was a pleasure and an honor speaking to you about this wild west, this brand new world that we are embarking on regarding the metaverse and how to raise funds for nonprofits, leveraging the power of NFT. So Dr. Liddy, again, thank you so much for a thought-provoking conversation. Thank you for giving this new tool, this new resource to all those out there looking to raise funds for their nonprofit. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week on Lead Hership Global. Thank you for joining Lead Hership Global's award-winning podcast. As a member of Lead Hership Global, you have the opportunity to meet inspirational leaders, create lifelong friendships, and be surrounded by others who are invested in your success. Join our global community of inspiring women in leadership, women who will help you create greater levels of impact, support your personal and professional breakthroughs, and help you accelerate your success. Don't miss out on the opportunity to show up, speak up, and step up in your professional and your personal life. Find out how you can join us at leadhershipglobal.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.